To Drink, Spin, Run, an RPG talk show, this is part two of our conversation with John Gilmore and Jerry Hawthorne, where we talk about RPG elements in board games and even card games, if you want. Who cares? Let's do it. Yeah. Card games. Why not? Makes sense. Card games. Let's make it happen. Mm-hmm. All right. Before we go we... any further, Don, yeah. the last episode, I forgot to address the first email that was ever sent to us here at DSR. And you can send email to us, hate mail, comments, whatever you got to dsr at kickassestand.net. Kevin Searle writes to us and says, Howdy from Austin, Texas. I recently discovered your podcast through Spellburn, I think. Uh, Actually, it probably wasn't Spellburn. It was probably um, that other one, Save or Die, because I think that's where they talked about us. Uh, Going through your podcast, I was turned on to Soggy Bog of Doom, which is another fantastic podcast. Killer stuff. I was wondering what your thoughts were on 2014's awesome list of new releases by longtime artists in the world of Doom, such as Earth, Sleep, Electric Wizard. Also, have you listened to Cough and the Almighty Bong Ripper? Um, to our guests, I apologize for this. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, just just the fact that we should have gotten this out of the way um, when we were talking about what we we're listening to. Um, so I'm going to get it out of the way now. Um, my responses are: Earth was great. Sleep was also great. It was actually really cool to hear a release from Sleep after so long without anything. Um, Electric Wizard's new release is not quite what I was expecting. I was really hoping for, uh, something that was less, like, this one just went a little weirder. Um, I was expecting more stuff like Black Mass. This kind of went in, like, a more, like, noise metally, like, cacophonous direction. There's nothing really wrong with cacophony in my mind, but when I'm used to Electric Wizard's, you know, a little bit more, like, droney, melodic stuff, that's what I wanted. Uh, Cough, I have really only recently, um, gotten into Cough, and I need to do a lot more digging. And Bong Ripper is fucking amazing. The, um, their album, Miserable, uh, just came out a little while ago, uh, is just fantastic. Uh, I listen to it all the time. I'm a big, big fan of that. Um, so, Kevin, thanks for getting in touch with us. Uh, we really appreciate, uh, you dropping us a line. Anything else you want to know? Anything else? Any other questions you have for us? Let us know. Uh, we'll be uh, happy to answer them. That same goes for the rest of everybody out there. Take it away, Don. All right. So we have invited these special guests because Jerry designed Mice and Mystics and uh, John co-designed Dead of Winter. While these aren't role-playing games, they're board games, but they have a very role-play-ish element Maybe that's just because of the heavy story in both games. So I just want to talk about RPG influences upon you guys and your design process. Other games that may have this. I just want to hang out, guys. <laughs> yeah. I want to let uh, yeah. Don drop that mic on the floor and just kind of, you know, fumble all over this thing. Bam. That's what I want to do. Done. Uh, no, I, um, I'm going to tell you guys right off the bat. I've got Jerry. Um, I love Mice and Mystics. It's a fantastic game. Uh, you know, really great mechanics. I like stuff like that. That's it's kind of not quite one thing and kind of not quite another, and kind of you know, it's got a leg in either in both the board game and RPG world. Um, that kind of reminded me of my old days playing Hero Quest. Um, yeah, I'm like, well, I'm yeah. like a huge Hero Quest fan, huge fan. I think that for nice, a so. lot of us, that was like the first game that really kind of pushed the envelope between 
like role playing games and art and and board games. You know, at least that's what I'm gonna go ahead and make the claim of because I think it's right. <laughs> because that was, I mean, it was clearly a board game, but it had some very definite, you know, RPG elements. You know, you had the, the you had a DM or Zargon in uh, Hero Quest. You know, you had a, a a methodology for how you know for handling things. Um, one of the things I loved about Mice and Mystics is uh, the little rubrics you created for basically DMless play. Because you've got, in the rules, you've got like a priority list, like who are bad guys going to attack on their turn, right? I mean, it's a really simple programmed, a program to follow, you know, um, can't really call it an AI, but you know, it's a really simple priority-based system that I, I actually found like crazy inspiring. And I could see how you could do that in um, so much stuff to just cut down on the complication factor, you know? Uh, and I'd be lying if I said that hasn't influenced how I even DM. That's pretty cool. Yeah, thanks, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. When you've got a game like this and you want to make it just a cooperative experience, because very much Mice and Mystics is a cooperative experience, um, <laughs> at least the way I played it. Maybe I'm playing it wrong. But you can't really have the DM at the table, right? And whereas, you know, in a normal, you know, uh, RPG kind of circumstance, that would be the guy who, you know, sorts out all this stuff. Um, wh- what did you draw inspiration from to create the system that you, uh, that you did? Um, I drew inspiration from um, some video games that I enjoy. Think of it as a combination of um, Left 4 Dead. Have you ever played Left 4 Dead? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Combination of Left 4 Dead and um, the Lego series of games. Does that make any sense? Oh, wow. Not as much uh, as I'd like it to, but I'm pretty excited okay. by the possibilities well, I'll there. It. I'll explain it. In the Lego <laughs> series of games, you basically move from one area to the next, and there's always like a little puzzle to figure out. You know, there's a little bit of action going on, and, and it's all... You know, like a nice little fast-paced romp, and then you move to a, a, a new little section, and um, and I like that. And then in Left for Dead, you play cooperatively with the with whoever you're playing with, and you're playing against the game cooperatively. And the game has this timing mechanism that you that is never predictable. It's always building behind you know behind the curtain. There's this ticker going on, and it's slowly building up to a crescendo, which then you you get, you never know when it's going to happen, but a big swarm of zombies is going to come after you, and so I wanted to like kind of create that element in the game. And that's, well, that's your your clock, your cheese wheel clock, yeah. Yeah, the cheese wheel clock is is that is that crescendo. It's building up to that big moment where oh that oh crap moment where you guys have to deal with this big big bunch of uh, conflict. And then the way the tiles work is that you know they're isolated, this little room filled with activity, and before you move on to the next room. That's pretty much the my inspiration for the game, and I also wanted to like have a game where you didn't have a person playing the adversary, so that a parent could like sit down with their kids and together they could they could cooperate to try to go through this thing and 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 beat it, you know, without anybody having to take responsibility for the punishment that the game will deliver. Despite how uh, good it probably is for adults and their kids, uh, I had a blast playing it with just a bunch of adults, you know. Um, while uh, a game, you know, with the title of Mice and Mystics might imply that, you know, like a younger audience, uh, really robust gameplay. I really enjoyed it. Um, we have played it a couple of times with, with some folks I used to play games with, but uh, really, really solid. We're that, we're that generation that grew up with The Secret of Nim. I mean... Yeah, yeah, you're right, you know. <laughs> well, the you're intention right. was is that, that the age group of the appeal would be very broad. Yeah. Now, I'm a, I'm a father-son kind of gamer, so, I mean, I... I want to be able to play games where, when when I play them with a different 
person who might have different experience playing games, there's still somewhat an even playing field, and that's that's you can do that in games um, with different mechanics and stuff. You can make that happen. One of the mechanics that I enjoy uh, using is luck. So uh, luck is a great, you know, leveler. Mm-hmm. You can have kids can do some heroic things, or a, a non-gamer can do some heroic things just by you know having a few uh, lucky rolls of the dice. Let me uh, jump in there because I do play it with my kid and he loves it. He's about 13. We busted it open two years ago, haven't finished it. We kept on losing at first. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it's great to play with him. I'm trying to get my daughter interested in it, but she's kind of a hard sell. But I really I really enjoy the game. I picked up one of the expansions at uh, Gen Con. And I'm not even close to busting it out, though, because you kind of have to, I mean, you have to play that in order, you know. I kind of like that it's set up like the storybook that way. And yeah, the initiative system is great. Like Adam mentioned that. Um, so you said it was inspired by these video games, but did you ever play any like real RPGs? Real D&D? RPGs. Oh. Listen to you. Oh, Listen yeah. to that snobby way of asking that question. Okay, instead of real, <laughs> you say pen and paper. Pen <laughs> there and paper. we go. I'm much more mm-hmm. comfortable than you saying that. I feel better. Yeah, because because I love me some Baldur's Gate, and that's not real. That's a CRPG. A little it's, it's bit a different. Thing, it's a right? thing that exists. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I think I'm a little paper. bit older than you guys. So I mean, I was around and playing D and D when you know it very very first came out. Yeah. And um, I uh, I mean, I I played D and D. I played I played. D&D Expert Edition, I played D&D Advanced <laughs> Edition, I played um, basically all, all the editions of D&D up to the big, thick, bound books before mm-hmm. any of the, you know, the, the 2.0s or whatever. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But I also played, you know, the, the, the space one that they came out with. I played, Star um, Frontiers? Yeah, Star Frontiers, Gamma World. Mm-hmm. Um, I played the, the Cowboy one. Boot Hill, yeah. Boot Hill, <laughs> Hill. Um, I played. <laughs> You're talking to the right guys to fill in the gaps in your story yeah, here. Yeah, thank it's you. Working thank out. you. Yeah. And uh, I played the um, uh, space opera. Have you guys ever heard of space opera? Absolutely. Yep. Yes, Mm-mm. I played space opera. Um, so I played. I played a lot of uh, RPGs I, when I was young. I think we might be a little older than you think we are. Uh, I know <laughs> it's the uh, it's the gray can't be seen over the internet. I think <laughs> is what it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. Adam's like fifty. Shut up! <laughs> there's a there's, one of the running gags on this show is that Don always forgets how old I am and forgets that he's actually older than I am. So yeah. uh, I'm really excited to hear your answers there, uh, uh, Jerry. I, um, <laughs> I I like to know where people's thought processes are coming from when they're when they're designing things. Uh, that's uh, I, I guess I wouldn't have looked at uh, video games as much for any kind of like guidance in this kind of uh, arena. So I guess that's probably well, just my own personal, like, I know that sounds weird probably. Right. But that's probably my own, you know, personal. If you look, uh, if, I mean, if you, I mean, I want, I want to create a game that's marketable. And if you look at what yeah. um, kids are into and you, and you look at the marketplace right now, you, there's so hmm. many wonderful elements from the video game world that can be um, translated uh, into board games using, uh, you know, different design choices. But beyond that, mm-hmm. I mean, the the real idea is like to simply, you know, with 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 my games is I want I want the game to create an experience that um, is similar to any kind of epic story that you might read or watch a movie or 
you might experience during a video game or in an RPG session. But I want that to be condensed into a board game, the language of board games, mm-hmm. and and all of that has to offer. When I got when I discovered HeroQuest, it's, it's funny you guys bring that up. When I discovered HeroQuest, it was like it was like finding this magic thing because I was able to get all of my non-gamer friends to play HeroQuest when they never would have played an RPG. Yep. Mm-hmm. But I was able to get them to play HeroQuest, and then we all had loads of fun for a long time just playing HeroQuest, playing through all 10 of the of the adventures that came with it. Yeah. And um, that back then, we used to buy board games, and we would play the crap out of them until they were, like, falling apart. You know, you would play <laughs> them a lot. Nowadays, everybody buys every new board game that comes out, and they play it once or twice. And yeah. it's like a different changing world. So we have to, as, as game designers, we have to adapt to that. I don't think my Mystics necessarily adapts to that because – I still have my old school way of thinking, and I, you know, when I when I released it with you know eleven chapters, I I was thinking in an old school way. Oh yeah, everybody's going to play through these eleven chapters, but it's hard to do. Yeah, so you have all these you, other options, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. so so how would you adapt what you know what you've done you know, in in the given the perspective that you just mentioned? Um, I think, like for instance, if I want to do something with my semistics, is I would just break it up into smaller story chunks, you know, so three mm-hmm. chapters would be your, because, you know, I was talking about Arcadia Quest earlier, where you could play six, you could play six games, and that creates your campaign, six games, mm-hmm. and in the, in the process of those six games, you're going to take your little guild of fantasy characters, and by the end, you're going to be like little gods, you know, by, after six games. Well, what I would do, if I, if I had that to, to do all over again with my submistics is I would just break it up into little little groups of stories rather than this entire thing, you know. Yeah, that makes mm. sense. I mean, I guess that's a lot of the way we see a lot of video games going too, like with like the um, like the Walking Dead and the Wolf Among Us, you know, going that you know so many chapters or releasing a chapter so often, you know, rather than um, just you know everything drops all at once, uh, and that that really allows people to decide the rate at which they consume a thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a really interesting point. Had that's very cool. All right, John Gilmore, uh, you've yeah. been very quiet throughout this whole time. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna admit I, something. I, I love right? I love just listening to Jerry talk about my semistics. I mean, the the amount yeah. of thought. I mean, he's you know definitely one of my one of my big influences. You know, I played my semistics before I worked on Dead of Winter, so I, I love. I didn't I didn't want to like fanboy out, but like when. <laughs> When I heard that, you know, Jerry was going to be on, I did a happy dance for a couple of days. Like, I was I was pretty excited. I told yeah, him, yeah. Kid, he's like, what? No way, dude. He's like famous. I'm like, oh, yeah, on. probably. <laughs> probably yeah. is. You, yeah, I mean, you, you I asked also love. if there was anybody that I could get on the podcast. So I was like, well, let me ask Jerry yeah. for you. You're like, no way. Yeah. Yeah. I was. Yep, I was fame in... in all of its glory. <laughs> right. Wow. All, <laughs> all shines down on us tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. I, I don't know. I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know if you guys know well, the. Uh, sh- have you guys heard of Shut Up and Sit Down? No. Yeah. They're, they're yes. board game review guys. But that Gen Con, I was talking to him, and somebody came up like while we were playing uh, Dead of Winter, and they were like, "How do you guys like being moderately famous in a very niche industry?" <laughs> and they're like, "They're like, it's manageable." <laughs> Moderately famous <laughs> in a niche industry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that was just a fu- such a funny way to describe it. 
Let's talk about some Dead of Winter, and I'm really sad that we didn't have... Well, that's where I wanted to go with that. Uh, I was where I, That's what I was building to. Uh, John, yeah. I have to admit to you that I tried my damnedest to play your game. That's what Don uh, said. I really he wanted said to play Dead to play of Winter before. I really wanted to play it before we had this conversation. Because I wanted to know, I wanted to have insightful questions <laughs> for you, <laughs> but um, a guy named Mark Donkers uh, is a jerk and wrecked our opportunity to play that game. <laughs> and uh, then I'm, Eric, I'm aware of this Donkers character. Yeah, yeah, he's a jerk. You might remember Eric Foldenhauer. I've heard of him. Uh, he was the second person who ruined it because he was taking a nap and couldn't bring the game over. He's also a jerk. Yeah, seriously, people taking naps on a Saturday? What the fuck, man? I mean, Saturday, Saturday, Saturday is for gaming. Not naps. Yeah, that's right. exactly right. You are exactly but you correct, know, John. Well, you know who the biggest jerk is, probably? It's going to be me. No, Don, for not owning the game. Oh. <laughs> Which, I mean, I I played that in, like, early play... Well, medium playtesting, right? Yeah, and you a, still don't a, own what it. What a friend. Thanks for pre-ordering. You know, look at this guy, John. <laughs> I, this is the guy whose I podcast love it. you're on. What a, an asshole. <laughs> I love it. No, no, it's you, a, you guys it's a are great so game. far away. It's not like I wanted to come up on a Saturday and played it. <laughs> we oh, could have you, know? you could have gotten on the phone with John and been like, "Hey, John, we got a gaming emergency. We need you to bring a copy of Dead of Winter up you know, here in Ypsilanti right now." You know, and there's beer. Do you know what? Yeah, and there's, and there's beer because there would have been beer, Don. Do you know what kind of guy John Gilmore is? The guy he who came up on come my up. birthday. He came up on my birthday. Drove how long? Like two and a half hours. Two and a half hours just to play his game with us. That's pretty great. It's good. Why didn't let's I talk cook? about your game? Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about this game. That yeah, Go for yeah, it. yeah. So there is. I mean, it's heavy story, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's a different approach to it than Mice and Mystics. Mice and Mystics really nails the the scripted story where you're going through this. You know, from point A to point B, and you have you know definite branches that you can take and offshoots. Um, we were really heavily influenced at, again by video games because I think you know Jeremy makes a good point. It's a really good place to take influence from. But games like uh, you know Minecraft and other things that don't have scripted story, it's all really emergent storytelling. Like there is no story to Minecraft, but you constantly you know, people who play it are telling other people's stories about what they did without a story there. Because, you know, there's this emergent thing that happens, and that's, you know, what we really wanted to try to, you know, put the spotlight on was put all the little bits there and let the, you know, let the story bubble up and change every time. Right. You know, Which we, is, I mean, that's even more RPG. Yes, um, very that's, much RPG. That's, yeah, that's what Sandboxy, I love about, like... Yeah. On the, you know, production copy, I've probably played at least 100 times at this point. And like I don't get sick of it just because every every game's different. Something some different new situation comes up. And that's uh you know, that was really something that we wanted to try to facilitate. I Tell us how you did it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us how you facilitated it. <laughs> well, uh, was, how how did you make that happen? How did you, you know, grab that by the balls and put it in your game? You know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. You know, one of them was uh we we have a lot of characters in the game, so there's 30 different characters or survivors that the players control. So it's not like you're this one guy out of five. So you get lots of different situations and lots of different, you know, matchups and pairings. Um, the other big thing is the crossroad cards. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're kind of the main linchpin and you know, what we're building the whole crossroad series on. There's going to be 
other games that you know really feature and focus on the crossroad mechanic and the way that it works is on your turn the player to your right draws a crossroad card and they i have them all over my desk so they kind of look like this and at the top it has a uh, a trigger so this one says you know so on your turn if i was the player to your right i would read this to myself and not out loud and the trigger is if the player performs a search with a non-exiled survivor so if somebody you has does a search then it triggers this card and I stop your turn right away, and then I read off all this. I mean, this is all flavor text right here. And then there's oh, some cool. mechanics, and then a decision. So it's like a you know a really mini one page choose your own adventure that is different every time because you might be a different survivor doing it, or you may have a different motivation and make a different choice than you did the last time that you got this same card. And there's there's mm-hmm. eighty of these in the deck, so there's you know a huge amount. You won't see. You know, maybe eight to ten of them in a game, if you're lucky. I mean, usually right. it's more, you know, six, six to eight. Most of them don't even trigger. Right. Right. Some of them are really specific. Like, if you're this specific character at this specific location, then you stop them. And there's crossword cards I still haven't seen yet because I didn't write them and I don't want to read them. Right. Because I want to be surprised when they come up. So I still have these cool moments that I don't even expect to happen. Or, you know, so some... Is... Let me, let me just ask you, I just want to ask a couple of questions, because there's a couple of things I want to understand going into yeah. this, and because Mark Donkers is a jerk, I, you know, <laughs> don't know, I have not played the game yet. How, uh, <laughs> is this a cooperative game, or is it, uh, more, is there a, is there an actual winner? Well, we coined, uh, we kind of coined the term meta-cooperative. Okay. Um, there is a main objective that everybody has to complete, but everybody also has their own secret objective, so on top of completing the main objective... You may also have to hoard a bunch of food or, uh, you know, get some weapons and ammunition. You have your own motivation, and if you don't complete your secret objective, then you don't win with the group. Okay, cool. Got it. So just right. like, you know, just like in real life, everybody, every single person has their own, you know, deep psychological motivations to do things that aren't necessarily, uh, in, you know, that are counterintuitive to what the group needs. And that that drives a lot of the story too. I mean, just uh, and just like yeah, just like in real life, you also have your commitments to the community and whatnot. So, well, and in mm-hmm. any good and, and and again to go back to like the topic, the theme of the evening, yeah. Uh, and then a good role playing game, you know, every character should have their own motivation, you know, that uh, pushes them in their particular idiom, as well as working, you know, for the group's you know common good. Neat. Very yeah, cool. and that's uh, you know that's a big driving factor and. You know, what we do is, and it's not like an official variant, but every time I play, you get your starting survivors and you get your secret objective, and you're not allowed to talk about the secret objectives, but I like to start out with everybody telling the story about why their survivors are together. And so I might have the farmer and Sparty, his, you know, faithful dog, and I can come up with a little bit of a story. Um, And I've seen games where people will tell a story at the beginning of the game that ties into their secret objective that nobody even understands until the end. Like one guy nice. had, had like lay the seed for the, yeah. Yeah. Like one of my friends had two, uh, you know, female survivors and then their secret objective was revenge where they had to have three survivors dead by the end of the game. Wow. So then, then like at the very last turn of the game, he killed off one of my survivors to satisfy his secret goal. And, huh. the, and then in the game, there's a possibility that somebody's the betrayer. 
So he did this, and it made me think, like, man, he might be the betrayer. He's killing me off to try to drop morale down so we lose. But then when we got done and we revealed secret objectives, he's like, well, uh, you know, I was the farmer. Yeah, I I was the farmer, and I had, uh, you know, he he had built this story in his head where I had sexually assaulted one of his characters. And that's that's why they wanted revenge on him at the end, and they killed him. Cool. That is cool. That's neat. All right, so you sold me. John, I'm going to have to play this. <laughs> so, guys, uh, what what um, what games other than your own do you feel really get across role play or you know, really inspire people to role play at the, you know, during a board game? What other games do you think do that well? Who would you, you know, who else would you recommend beyond your obviously two fantastic games? John, you go first, man. <laughs> She's throwing you under the bus, John. Remember that. You know, I, w- I want to feel like the Pathfinder Adventure Card game does it. Mm, and I want yeah, to love it. It's got elements. I mean, you know, you're saving your character. You're getting better as you go on these missions. It's kind of neat. It's got role-play game elements that aren't role-playing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I never um, felt it's got like the continuation. I was really my character, though. A lot of board games put in the mechanics of RPG, you know, the leveling of your character, mm-hmm. the increasing in your, your abilities, and all of that sterile um, qualities, but they don't put in the story. And, yeah. and sometimes Motivation like the, the, and even, like, identification with the character can be really yeah. removed. You know, I mean, even, yeah. I mean, we talked about Hero, Hero Quest as kind of like mm-hmm. the granddaddy of this genre, right? But realistically, there's nothing to tie you into that character's psyche. There's not, like, you know, you got a mission, but everybody's right. on the same mission, right? It's um, like, right. What what uh what John was talking about those those crossroads cards. What's really interesting about those is that they um not only do they provide a little bit of story and a little bit of, of decision making, but they're also kind of tied to the characters. They're actually rooted in the characters. So, um, if you have this particular character and and you take this particular action, you might trigger this particular crossroads card. So uh, it's it's kind of an interesting and 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 different thing. Um, what we're trying to do at Plat Hat Games is we're trying to bring those story qualities into our games and fill them full of story and gameplay, mm-hmm. and which is something that we have we collectively have have found that we don't we don't we're not finding out in the in the in the world of game board games. So. Mm-hmm. Um, like for, I'll, I'll give. Yeah, uh, think, has anybody think... played Warhammer Quest? Yeah, hell yeah. Warhammer Quest is great. It's a classic. It's a great example of a uh, of a of a board game that was trying to capture that RPG experience. And but the 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 for us when we were playing it, the actual the actual combat and dungeon crawly portions of it were very mechanical. The fun stuff came when you got into town. You started like, you know, reading these little, you know, these these little snippets of stuff that happened to your character and he's crazy. He got an arm wrestling fight and his, <laughs> his arm got broken and now all of a sudden he's like he's really weakened for his next adventure. Those kind of things were were really the elements that that made us laugh and like really brought us together and made us feel uh, committed to our characters and stuff. Not the portions where we were like battling the little the the dinky snotlings in the in the hallway and stuff you know it, you know mm-hmm. on the same on the same tack one of the games that i've gotten a lot of traction out of 
uh, over the last year or so is Red Dragon Inn. Mm-hmm. Um, in that it is just the you're in and in, freaking drink and gamble and, you know, screw each other over. Uh, you don't see the adventuring part of the game. You know, that doesn't exist. It's just, it's, this is the post-adventure. This is the carousing, you know, <laughs> the, uh, the, you know, a reward for a job well done. Um, and in, in the circles that I play this game in, um, it does, it gets pretty cutthroat, which, you know, kind of encourages a lot of those role-playing aspects to come out in a very adversarial manner, <laughs> which uh, is, I think, a lot of, uh, different from a lot of the other ways that, you know, we typically see role-playing aspects, you know, come into games. Because, you know, role-playing in general is such a communal experience that uh, this being so directly purposefully adversarial is uh, not not anywhere near the same. <laughs> what I'd like to see more yeah, of they... in board games is actually having the player um, having ownership over over their character a little bit more over their over their avatar that they're playing in the game. What we what we see so much of is like you get these choices of these different already pre made characters and 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 you know playing pieces and whatnot, but you you hardly ever get to act have that chance to like sort of create your own and give it an identity. And I would just wonder what, what would transpire with the, with the players when they had that level of ownership over their character. I'd like to see that. That'd be cool. Yeah. Cause they do that. You sit down and you create yeah, that yeah. character and then suddenly you're emotionally attached. And I want to see that's how that all the old games. school games start. All the old school yes. RPGs, right? First chapter character creation. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to fucking play the game. But you go out to make a character, you know. Yeah, but that's uh, great, though. That's the great part. It, about no, I it, agree. I agree completely because that does that provides you a direct referent for the rules. You know, it mm-hmm. puts it puts rules, the rest of the rules, in terms that you, as a player, come to understand as this is how it is relevant to me and mm-hmm. to my character. Mm-hmm. That's what I'd like to see more of in board games. Exciting. But, that's great. I would too. That'd be great. I could get more excited yeah. about board games. That'd be good. That's, that's something I was trying to do with a superhero game that I was working on where you would build your character at the beginning. Um, it, it setup time is the killer, though. I mean, that's... <laughs> right. Yeah. You want to yeah. get into having fun. What if, what about, yeah, what if, what if the, uh, the, that building is just part of, you know, in-play development? Right. Um... Yeah, yeah, I've been trying to play around with ways to do it the way, you know, do it in an interesting way that didn't take 20 minutes to set the game up. I mean, if you're sitting down for an RPG that's going to be 12 hours long, spending an hour on character creation isn't a big deal. Well, or even four hours long, or something like that, you know, like, okay, roll 3d6, you know, six times in order, no problem, done. All right, here's your character. But if if you're sitting down for a board game that's an hour long, spending 20 minutes on character creation... I watched Don set up was it Elder Sign a little while ago, and that was like I mean it took him six years to get that thing set up, and you know, no thanks, man. What was was it Elder Sign or Arkham Horror? Ar- or what? Elder- Eldritch, Eldritch Horror. Eldritch Horror. Horror. Okay. Yeah, yeah Elder Sign is the really cool is... dice game, right? Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, which takes all the story out of the good game yeah. and <laughs> makes it kind of mechanical, which, which I don't like. I mean, I like story in my games. I yeah. definitely like more thematic. I love Eldritch Horror. It's great, but it's it's got a story. It's not an RPG, really. I guess. You know? And you know the thing that uh, like uh, you know, Mice and Mystics does, and Dead of Winter. Yeah, you know, my wife is really my litmus test because she, admittedly, has zero imagination, and she is oh. not a role player at all. 
Like I mean, she she will tell you that. That's not my opinion. That is her. Right. She you know, she doesn't do role. <laughs> well, you said games. admittedly, so I assumed that that was hers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's not me being negative. Like she is not a role player at all. But Mice and Mystics and Dead of Winter do things that allow her to slip into a character without putting thought into it. You know, they present, they get you invested in the story, and then you know, without having to really think about it, you're you know, role playing that character. And that's... tell me more about your stratagems to confuse and mislead your wife. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh... <laughs> They're generally ineffective. Let me tell you. <laughs> good. One of the things that appealed to me about Arcadia Quest is that you you know when you when you put together this little guild of three little characters, it kind of reminded me of an old game that um, we used to play called Necromunda. <gasps> oh yeah, hitting a sweet spot. Ah, oh, Necromunda, Mordheim, <laughs> all that stuff. What's cool about Gorka those games Morka. is that you you put together a gang and you named each and each individual character and you watched it say. Sometimes they got killed. Sometimes they got better. Sometimes they got worse. <laughs> you know that yeah. that kind of ownership and that emotional attachment. It's the emotions that that I really want to like trigger in the players. So you know, I want to create games that make that make players feel that emotional attachment because I think that's 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 synonymous with immersion. Now, now, Jerry and Arcadia Quest, can you lose characters? Well, no, but um, they can get worse. Just like in Necromunda, you know, you, if your if your character gets gets beat up during a during a session, then you have to take these little skull counters for every time your character dies during because they come right back. But every time they die during a session, you take a skull counter for each time they get defeated, and then at the end of the game, you have to draw a curse card for each skull token that that character receives. Ooh, and you have to from from that group of cards, you have to take the worst of all the curses, and then. The next time you play, they have to suffer that curse, so they're going to be severely um, hampered on their next um, play session. You know, that's that's something that we noticed, uh, in, and Isaac and I talked a lot about, was like looking at modern storytelling like George R.R. R. Martin and uh, you know, Robert Kirkman with The Walking Dead. Um, mm-hmm. They're not afraid to kill off characters. And that gives you a real emotional attachment to who you have, almost to the level of the emotional attachment you have with real life people, because you don't know how much longer you have left with those characters. Yeah, it's, like when when it's characters the die, of it, having it packs real a consequences. Punch. Yeah, yeah. We, and we like um, talking about hero hero quest earlier, we got to a point where we were playing two player hero quest, and we were playing it like in a competitive way. One play, player would play the Zargon, the other player would play all four of the characters. And you're literally trying your best to to win. Mm-hmm. And it really puts the pressure on and it really intensifies everything and, and it becomes a, a kind of a different emotional feeling. Yeah, and, you know, with, uh, with Dead of Winter, it let us really take the gloves off. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. there's a die that you roll that if it's a tooth, your survivor dies from moving yeah. or from fighting. And it's just an instant death, no saving roll, and it could be even worse. Like, because you can lose a survivor that easily, you get attached to the ones that you have. And that's great for a game that has a swift setup, you know, whether we're talking an RPG or we're talking, um, you know, a, a board game. 
You know, if you if you if it's a game that you can jump into quickly, where you don't need to have that much of an investment. Uh, you know, I know Don and I play a lot of OSR games. Um, you know, which means that we, uh, you know, a lot of old school style rules like BX or or BCMI style D and D or you know first edition AD and D. Uh, where rolling up a character is literally rolling up a character 3d6 in order, done, psh, move on, let's go. Um, and, you know, your character's first level, get out the door, and he can die really fast because we don't care, you know, that much. You know, we don't have as much invested. But when it's a, a game that, you you know, you, you spend a lot of time setting up and you spend a lot of, like, like with this campaign style of uh, Arcadia Quest, it sounds like because, you know, these folks follow you through, you know, six different sessions, play sessions, it makes a lot more sense to have them not have the same degree of mortality, you know, that it might, you know, in, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I might be mischaracterizing Dead of Winter, but it sounds like it's like, it's, each game is, it's, it's self-encapsulated, right? Yeah, yeah it doesn't no carry it over before, between them. Right. So in a game like, like Dead of Winter, you know, like, uh, a single death isn't nearly as punishing as it would be in something like Arcadia Quest, where <laughs> that death now, now covers over or carries over into six separate stories. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. So I, no, I'm all I'm all with you. Death is important. <laughs> Death needs to happen in 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 all kinds of games, and it's very very much a motivator and very much something that you know people can you know grasp and hold on to, and and it's it's really you know creates good stories. But at the same time, I think it needs to be, make sense for its context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, yeah. like, what, you know, like I said, George R. R. Martin is doing in, like, Game of Thrones. I mean, he has no, any characters up for drabs at any point. Like, you can't get attached to a favorite he character. Says because says that, but, he says that, but there's some just, cash cows in that shit, man. You know, like, I, like, like, Tyrion is a cash cow, you know. Uh, I, I know feel, I feel like anybody can go that. at any time. I want anybody to be able to go at any time, but. <laughs> You know they can't right, kill so off Daryl in Walking Dead. I mean, right? The you know, fans would. Yeah, you'll never see fans would go. Did he die? Did they he go. actually die? Or was that a hoax? No, no. Spoilers. They, they can't no, didn't, kill off Daryl. No, didn't. No, didn't, no. Was Norman Reedus actually. Hoax. It was a hoax. Okay, okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Jerry, I'm glad you mentioned Necromunda because I wanted to uh, touch briefly on that, like, or that kind of style of like miniature game where you have. Like, a storyline. Like, I played once or twice. I played Gorka Morka. Uh, I played a lot more Warhammer. I played a lot more, uh, like, Warhammer 40K. But mm-hmm. I would I would spend so much time, like, oh, this this war boss in this fight, he was hurt so bad, so he lost a leg. And I would, like, cut his leg off. <laughs> I'd build a robotic leg. You know, oh, he, oh, he beat this crazy boss so i'd chop a head off like some space marine <laughs> put it on his base like i made i made a strictly warfare miniatures game into kind of a role-playing game yeah you because were i wanted that narrative. story i wanted the attachment yeah that's and that's the thing that attracts me uh the, the game i'm working on right now i have like all these little mechanisms i have this little simple campaign system that it's a miniatures you know head-to-head combat game but there's like a little simple campaign that goes with it and like if you're if you're, one of your like heroes gets defeated by another hero in, in one game, then you get like a little grudge card against that hero. And then like the next time you play, then you'll have like a little bonus. Your hero will have a little bonus against that particular hero because he's got a grudge oh, nice. on him. You know, little stuff like that to like keep that continuity mm-hmm. going. 
to add that little that little customization that makes every game a little bit different. Those are uh, important parts of those for those of us who like that story and like that little that little ongoing element. It's awesome. You got me looking for my copy of uh, Rogue Trader over here. So oh, yeah. oh, I love Rogue there Trader. Somewhere. Well, the original, like Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader, you know. Yeah. Not that yeah. new game. Not yeah. that new stuff. I had that book. I love the artwork in Rogue Trader in that old book. It was so, so cool. Gorgeous. It's I so love that old artwork. Uh, we didn't know that it wasn't a role-playing game when I was growing up. <laughs> we were like, oh, well, you know, yeah, why couldn't you use these rules? I mean, we understood RPGs from, you know, playing D&D, and so we are like, okay, mm -hmm. well, we'll just use those rules to do the other thing, too, and maybe we'll have miniatures or not. So, <laughs> Right. It really was, in the old Rogue Trader days, it was really heavily influenced by RPG. Mm -hmm. and, I don't know, you know if you guys have read the original, like, Warhammer fantasy, like, uh, rules, the first edition Warhammer, you know, it had a book that was designed for, like, oh, well, this is the role-playing book, you know? There was, mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, here are the armies, or here are the, 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 here's how you play, here's magic and stuff, and then here's the role-playing part, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it was less distinct. Um, you know, and it, it, it kind of occurs to me, as we have been having this conversation, that there are probably, there I don't know. I I placed the uh, this this point at which we you know kind of we pin uh, the RPG style storytelling to uh, board games at HeroQuest, and it dawns on me now that there might have been a couple of times you know prior to that when there was more bleed through that um, isn't well remembered by modern audiences. And the thing that call comes to mind is our. Uh, White Bear, Red Moon, Red Moon, White Bear, whichever order those go in. Uh, the old Chaosium uh, board game that was the beginning of Glorantha. Uh, I'm familiar, but I've never played any of that. I, I've Glorantha. read through the rules, and it you know it, it does very much tell a story, um, but it is a war game, so there's only mm -hmm. so much where you know you can actually get into the character of stuff. But it's more about like the way it was written. You know, feels much more you know story based and story driven than. Um, the uh you know then uh, i don't know a lot of the stuff that comes in between you know that and hero quest i don't know i'm i'm running out of, running out of f fuel here so <laughs> <laughs> have you guys played dread at all dread yeah the uh storytelling game i have been i've never played dread i have been at the table next to people playing dread at yukon before but that's about it oh is is that the jenga jenga yeah, yeah. Yeah, our mutual, yeah, our mutual had, friend Jeremiah has played it a couple times yeah, with he, us. Yeah, he uh, ran it for us up here. What did you think? I loved the idea. I loved the story he told because he went like slasher, like high school mm -hmm. movie route. I thought that although it was tense to pull those uh, blocks, it took me out of the story. Really? Like it was, it was so mechanical that I was just like, I'm just pulling a block. Like, yes, <laughs> I don't want it to fall. Yeah. But it just I did it broke my immersion. So for anybody that hasn't played it, um it's a it's a, you know, storytelling RPG where the resolution mechanic is that when you do something that the storyteller feels needs to be contested, you have to pull a block out of a Jenga tower and then put it on top. And when you conflict with another player, um you have to go back and forth. Like if Don tries to attack me, we pull Jenga blocks until somebody knocks over the tower. And then whoever knots over the tower dies. So like, 
you know, anything you try to do could potentially knock over the tower. So it has that mm-hmm. sense of... But you can see how Don would, you know, be disimmersed, you know, by doing something like that. Because it is very <laughs> much, here's a gaming artifact. And right. to resolve this particular thing, yeah. we're going to interact with this artifact until the point where this stuff is resolved. Yeah. Um, now, in a lot of gaming, it's just dice. Let's roll some dice. You know, you get in the out fast. You know, uh, depending on how complicated. You know, if you got like fancy charts or whatever, that's the only time it gets tough. Um, uh, that's actually one of the things I loved about uh, about Jerry's Mice and Mystics is the the funky dice and you know the, the <laughs> symbols on there. I loved it. But um, no, I think uh, the game that we played. Uh... You know, we ended up in the in like a house, and the one of the other guys attacked me and was trying to kill me. And we were up in the attic, and the you know we had pushed one of us had pushed a couch over top of the entrance to the attic, and he attacked me. So we were like having this pull off battle in the Jenga tower, and then everybody else just kept acting out their scene, like trying to get into the attic and figure out what was going on. Where we were having this back and forth. Until one of us died. And it was like this really tense moment where the Jenny Tower was, you know, insanely high. And we were just going back and forth and they kept acting out the scene. And like, it was a, I mean, it was a super awesome moment. Now, but, were they interacting with the Jenga Tower too? No, no. Because, because you know, as they like more... trying to get into the attic that you've locked behind you, that might be, you know. No, like... that would have been pretty cool though. <laughs> That they're making it even more difficult, you know. That you know, I <laughs> I can see that leading to some awesome opportunities there. But yeah, I mean, I can, uh, I can definitely see where Don's you know disenjoyment of it comes but from. Is it just a normal Jenga tower? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, normal Jenga tower, yeah. completely but, normal Jenga tower. Yeah, it's yeah. just every time you're doing an action that the that you know the referee, the judge, the DM, whatever you want to call him, you know, thinks needs you know it it calls for a bit of risk. You pull a Jenga block and you put it, you know, on the top. So that's it's actually like two interactions with this tower. But <laughs> Don's point is that that draws him so fully out of the story that it becomes, you know, because I mean, you want to you want to draw it right, you know, you want to place it right. So I'm, I'm kind of with Don on this. I mean, I'm not. I'm, I mean, I don't want to sound because I've never played the game, so I don't know. But I'm kind of with right. Don on this. I think for me it might it might pull me out a little bit because of the you know the uh, dexterity games are like a totally different thing for me. <laughs> no, they don't. But I I I think that they're I think it's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Kind of, oh yeah, kind of reminds it's a me great of idea. <laughs> I remember there was this uh, place nearby um, back when people used to rent videos. Remember that? Oh yeah, I remember <laughs> that. Them days back in olden times. Yeah, <laughs> there was a, a store near here uh, called. Uh, the video rental and yogurt. It was like, <laughs> it was like they just like took two random things and like like created a business out of it. You know, it's like I, I I always thought it was funny and I always like added yogurt onto everything. I was like shoe store <laughs> and yogurt and yogurt. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. But the you know the 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 Jenga tower thing is a cool idea. I mean, uh, if there was information on those blocks that you're pulling out that might have. Secret clues on the Jenga blocks. That's that would awesome. be really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. Jerry, I yeah. think you just made dread. Uh, you gave you gave dread a new spin. You know, that's good. <laughs> that, then that'd design cool. it. That would be cool. All right, trademark it. 
Let's go. <laughs> Take it off the air and delete. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> okay, we got no viewers right now, guys. We're okay. It's just us. I'm, I'm, no. sure, I'm sure Jerry's at the same point I am where, like, if any, if I come up with a game idea, I just give it to somebody else at this point. Mm. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to design this game on top of all the other games I'm working on. Right. I mean, I'm not a famous designer, but... We got enough projects maybe, on our... <laughs> maybe someday I'll get there. Yeah. You know that, yeah, that's my, my fame, is, my my uh, within an industry fame is not even moderate. You know, so, but uh, <laughs> I've got enough projects that I'm going to be busy for a while. So. I only want to be in, involved in projects that I love. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I don't want to. I mean, ideas are ideas. You know, come along all the time, but I want to just be in doing stuff I love. Well, I well, think the hard. overall time investment, especially with board games, is so much higher than it is, say, with RPGs. Because, like, for example, Don and I are working on something right now that it was like, hey, Don, I've got this idea. Do you want to help me flesh it out? He's like, sure, I'll do that. Uh, I still have to get him the flesh, hair flesh this out part. But, um, you know, it's it's so much faster because it's just writing. You know, our right. playtesting is, um, like, once we got it write, written, you know, we can send it out. Like, with board games, there's there's an artifact to manufacture to even get to the playtesting phase. And it seems like there's mm-hmm. so much more work um, with, with that that... There's got to be so much more investment. There's a lot of work. Yeah. A lot yeah. of work. I work every day. I work every day on it. Yeah. It's the only way yeah. that it'll yeah, get Yeah, I, I get home work and I'm up until about 2 a.m. every morning. Every day. Seven days a week. Maybe maybe that's my problem. Maybe I'm not dedicated enough because I like to go to bed at like 11. Uh, I mean, I have all these ideas. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> out, Don. Don, you're lightweight, man. Come on. I mean, I, I do wake up at seven and sometimes six thirty. Yeah, I feel I feel bad if I go to sleep at one. I'm like, man, like I you got like seven other stuff. things you needed to get done. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Yeah. The other night, I fell asleep in my chair with my laptop, at, and I woke up at three a.m. <laughs> and, and then you worked some more before you go to bed, right? That's what I did the other night too. Well, I did. I, I, got I did like before work. You got to get some stuff done, you know. Like I gotta write this many words, or else I'm done. You know, like for the day, I no productivity. Like... <laughs> yeah, I stopped typing mid sentence, so I finished my sentence and went to bed. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, it, it was way easier back when I had an office job and I could just slack off and work on game design stuff while I was sitting at my desk. But yeah, I don't want to talk about. Yeah, that. we don't need to talk about our day job. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's depressing. No, John, uh, my employer. If you're listening, it's all work all the time. Mine too. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy for me because my job doesn't. I mean, there's no way that I could work on. Yeah, um, you're not anywhere near. Oh, right. I mean, well, John, is, it's kind of agonizing in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I might get an idea in my head. Got to write it down now and save it for later. Yeah. <laughs> I feel I fill up a lot of notepads at work, though. I mean, if I, I carry a notepad with me all the time, so if I think of an idea. I have a section mm-hmm. in the back of each of my notepad in my work notepads that's game ideas. You know, uh, I realized that I have a note written down on my little you know show notes clipboard. Uh, something that uh, I wrote down in the first half of our recording session that uh, I needed to mention, and it's that that Marvel, the stupid Marvel dice game thing. <laughs> that <John's really> about. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. tell you why right now that I will never get into that. Is that there is no storytelling component because you're just rolling dice, right? That's right. Mm, I mean, I put together uh, my team based upon uh, a story. Uh, 
no, but you could totally no, really. optimize it, and you would put together a better team if it was just by the stats, right? And you might win, but what's that if there's no story? I mean, that's not how I roll. I'm like, oh, this, <laughs> this one, Captain game, America. But that's where Logan. the game lies, right? Is in <laughs> winning, rolling yeah. those dice. And and for me, the part like where where I'm going to gain enjoyment is where the the game lies. If the game right. lies in rolling dice, and it's it's totally like you know, no story could be involved in that part of the game. I'm done, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, whereas a game like Mice and Mystics, and it really sounds like a game like Dead of Winter, you know, the game lies in an environment where we're thinking about the story that's going on. I'm going to be much more involved in that. Um, right. And I, Don, I kind of almost feel like you and I are like uh, on this journey where we're 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 <laughs> exploring immersion in so many different ways because it's not something I typically think about. It's something that I experience or I don't experience. And yeah. uh, mm-hmm. I, I feel like like every guest we get to talk to, this is the absolute coolest part about this, is that I'm slightly drunk and I'm talking to people I've, <laughs> in many cases, never met before about uh, shit that actually like really matters to me. And, um, <laughs> and, and gaming really matters. And the experience that I have when I'm gaming you know, is, is such a vital personal experience. That uh, and I think about it all of the time, uh, and and knowing what you guys are, uh, um, <laughs> partially hitching your cart to, <laughs> and partially like just just getting from your own experience as designers and as gamers, uh, and 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 that helps me uh, so much figure out where I uh, I can fill in the gaps in my immersion experience. I had a point that I lost track of as I was looking for words. <laughs> Uh, but no, that I mean, like this, this whole this whole drink spin run thing has been a pretty cool yeah. experience for me because I get to think and talk about stuff without anybody saying <laughs> bullshit to me. So it's pretty great. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I'm you know I'm on this quest for immersion. Mm-hmm. Like I just want to be in the game. In a quick defense of Marvel Dice Masters, <laughs> it sets up in about four minutes, plays in about ten. And it's something I do with my kid when I'm too Dude, tired I'm not, I'm to set up a real game. I'm not talking shit about your game. I'm no, just no. saying that it's not something I could probably get into. You know, no. just because. No. Well, until you have like a ten-year-old. And that's offspring. fine. When yeah. my um, impending future child gets to that point, then right. we can talk about that. But you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I would, I would much rather sit down and tell a story. Like I love the games where. There's theme, like there's heavy theme. I can't stand euros; uh, they just don't interest me. But like, if there's like a strong theme, I want to get in there. If there are like you know claustrophobia, we didn't mention that game. Oh, um, a game? It's like an awful oh, yeah. game. It's a good game. No, really good <laughs> I'm game. sorry, but just claustrophobia. I've heard good things about it. Well, you like Space Hulk, and it's kind of like a weird fantasy space demonic Hulk, basically. Spanish Inquisition Space Hulk. <laughs> I'm sold. Let's do right. it. I mean, that, that's, there needs to be a 10-minute game with lots of story. I mean, that's the next step, right? Is How do you right, do that? How do you have you the game that you can it. set up in you 10 minutes? You nailed it, John. Uh, have you guys played Quiet Year? Chunks. 10-minute oh, chunks. I want to. You can I string them together. You can string, string 10-minute chunks together and make 100 minutes worth of awesome. Yeah. 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 Make an nar- uh, overarching narrative that you tell in 10-minute chunks. I mean, that would be an incredible experience. Play as long mm-hmm. as you want, or not. Yeah. yeah. You know, now I'm going to yeah. stay up until like 3 a.m. <laughs> I know. Me that. too. That's okay. You know, we got a little <laughs> while before 1 a.m. 
But uh, gentlemen, they were running a little bit long. like this is that they, they, you know, by bumping information off of each other, we come up with these these little brain bursts, you know, ideas, yeah. things that, you know, you see these, there's a need for more story. Um, obviously, Flat Hat Games knows that. And um, there's mm-hmm. also a need for that immediacy. People want to play a quick game of like some random dice game. There should be, there could be more story there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's, let's figure out how to do that, Jerry. Let's do. And when you do, guys, we'll have you back on, and uh, you'll you'll run us through that game. Uh, Wouldn't that be cool? But that is totally something that we'd be That'd really be awesome. excited about doing. Is coming yeah. back uh, anytime you guys want to run something for us. We'd love to get that on the show. Um, it, it'd be it'd be an awful lot of fun. Uh, yeah. This was a really fun hour, or however long we've been doing this. Uh, maybe maybe <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe two. Ish. <laughs> well, I mean, if we count both episodes together, yeah, about two. But yeah. right now, we're yeah, sitting yeah. right about the hour mark, uh, which means we've probably gone beyond where we need to go. But yeah, it's I've been had a fantastic lot of years. conversation. It's been fun. Yeah. Um, thanks for coming, guys. We really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you for you. having us. Yeah, happy yeah. to. Anytime. Well, thank you all for joining us. Uh, thanks for listening at home. Uh, next time, uh, we will be talking to. Uh, James Spahn and Noah Stevens about something. We don't know what it will be yet, but at least we'll know that we'll be talking about what they'll be drinking, spinning, and running. Uh, Thanks for joining us, folks. Have a wonderful night. Bye. Thank you. Bye.